Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. We are getting better and better data that is showing the unique way in which men's fertility plays a role in not just conception, but also pregnancy outcomes, the health of the pregnancy and baby's long-term health. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with the click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com. And let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. Okay. Today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Ila Barmer. I think it's her third time being on the podcast over the last four or five years. And a little about Ayla, if you don't know her, for the past 15 years, she's been advancing the health and empowering thousands of clients, patients, peers, and mentees at the intersection of nutritional science, functional medicine, and evidence-based holistic solutions. She owns and operates Boston Functional Nutrition, an integrative and functional nutrition multi-clinician practice that specializes in women's health and infertility. She's also the founder of Full Circle Prenatal, a fertility wellness brand, 
widely endorsed by diversity of health practitioners for its quality and education. And she is also the founder of the Women's Health Nutrition Practice Group, where she serves as a preceptor, mentor, and educator, and co-founded the Women's Health Nutrition Academy in 2018, a leader in its field. It's been really fun to watch your growth and changes since I first really knew you about five years ago. Welcome back. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me on. I love watching your podcast too. And I listen to it all the time. Actually, it's one of just a few that are in my regular rotation because you cover such a awesome variety of different topics and I love the guests and everything. So it's, it's great. And I can't believe I sent you, of course, I've still got my old name and branding, like on my tongue, always the full circle prenatal. We're actually full well now. Oh yes. I didn't catch that either. And I'm (laughs) glad, you know, and that's a great thing. Let's just point it out. Like it was full circle. It's now full well, and maybe we want to take a hot second. And I think this is a good chance to maybe say why it's different, because I think that does Sometimes that makes people say, why would you change your name? And we all go through those struggles regardless, but here we go. I'll ask, why did you change your name? Yeah. I mean, it was an evolution. The way I started out with this was I wanted to create a prenatal multivitamin that just met my exact specs, you know, and where, where I could exactly control the whole process, like understanding the supply chains and where we're getting ingredients from and the manufacturing and like do all the testing the way that I wanted it to, all the forms of the nutrients and the way that I wanted it to. And so what I was planning on doing was just taking this formula, making a few hundred bottles, using it in my practice with clients, with myself. I like launched it like two weeks right before I had my second baby, which is like the worst strategy ever for launching a brand. But that's what I did. And, you know, so it was really meant to be a prenatal multivitamin to serve the needs of my practice clients. And then as kind of appreciation for it grew, I realized that there was an opportunity to really expand into what I love, which is fertility on a whole and serve a need, which so now, you know, full well really encompasses fertility, wellness, and education. So that's what we're doing with it. And the education piece. So we're not just a nutraceutical brand. You know, there's plenty of those. We really are doing a lot of education for both the public and also health professionals through our ambassador network. So I know what a super nerd you are. And hopefully some of the people listening kind of know that as well. And I know how obsessed you've been with fertility for the last five years, at least. So it feels like you're filling out, you're fulfilling your dream. I was giggling as you're telling us about how you wanted to create this thing because you know how there's a gap and you can't find exactly what you need. I feel that way about like mm-hmm. methylation and mitochondria. I'm like, there's just really not the perfect thing. And uh, I was just giggling to myself, like, how's it going being a control freak about this? Um, <laughs> So then, like, it's a stressful. lot of pain and heartache. <laughs> no, that's what it really is along the way. Uh, so we've talked about in the past. I think fertility as a whole, I can't even remember what our first episode is about, but we're going to give a little bit of a lay of the land again. And so, because really this affects a lot of people. I don't really know how, I mean, quite honestly, like, I don't know what people are having for babies these days. Like if we're not having as many babies, but we can just make an assumption that there's a lot of people (laughs) that fertility is a thing for. And we know that I think it's like maybe one in 10 women miscarry. I mean, there's a lot of like issues about it that are swept under the rug. So we're the beauty of this conversation is we can talk about issues that are swept under the rug, or maybe wouldn't be that popular to talk about in other places and actually give it some lip service and actual education. So let's paint a big picture. If someone would walk into your practice or your office or on your telephone and say, you know, I'm concerned about fertility, what are some of the arms or tenants that your brain needs to go to first? Like what makes up that in my next 
interview outline, I use the word treatment pie. And I think that's a appropriate <laughs> say here, statement here too. What constitutes the treatment pie for fertility? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, first I would say when we get outreach for fertility support, it is 99.9% of the time women and not men, you know, that are reaching out, even though we serve both, you know, in the practice and I've always worked with both. And I just think that's interesting because it really points to, I think the overall cultural perception that, or just general public perception that fertility is a women's health issue. And it's not just a women's health issue. And we are getting better and better data that is showing the unique way in which men's fertility plays a role in not just conception, but also pregnancy outcomes, the health of the pregnancy and baby's long-term health. So when I think about fertility, it's really one of those really broad bucket kind of things, you know, where there can be so many variations and root causes to it that fall under that umbrella. And so that's what I do love, I think, in particular about working in the fertility space is that, you know, it's presenting as one thing, like we have this goal of of getting pregnant and having a healthy baby, but there are so many different root causes. And so that's where a functional medicine approach, which I know you are familiar with and trained well in and everything and can appreciate too. And I really feel like is so applicable because it helps us kind of distill down, you know, and to get at those root causes, the underlying imbalances that are resulting in fertility issues. And even if you don't have, you know, overt fertility issues, you know, like you haven't started and started struggling to conceive, I think, you know, pre before you try to get pregnant is the time to be looking at where getting a lay of the land at where like the imbalances, deficiencies, insufficiencies are so that you're in a really good place because it matters and it has an impact in a lot more ways that we're, we are discovering, but ways that we also don't know. And so, you know, for me, I mean, the way that I always like to describe it for fertility as a whole is our body by design is always going to prioritize everything else over fertility. It's just that survival, you know? And so we want to look for all of those things that the body's prioritizing, (laughs) you know, what is it, where are resources getting diverted away from fertility, reproductive health over to? And so that's what my mind thinks first is like, how do we map out where could potentially resources being diverted to, where are they being diverted to? And how do we address those in a way that prioritizes things, makes them doable, acknowledges that we live in a modern world where we cannot control everything and, you know, nor should we, and just does it in a reasonable way. So that's what I think is let's get at the root causes, where are those resources being diverted to and how do we prioritize? So you kind of get the biggest bang for your buck, knowing that we can't do all the things. It sounds like in different words, that was a nice way to say it, but in different words, some of the areas that your body might prioritize to would be creation of other types of hormones or essential hormones Mm -hmm. like stress hormone. And when it's working with deficiencies, it's always kind of pulling from other areas and deficiencies result in inadequate intake, gut health issues where you cannot digest and absorb nutrients properly. Mm -hmm. Um, toxicants, right. And dealing with that because it's a very nutrient dense process, all of those things and many more, right. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we find it generally some of the big buckets are oxidative stress, which I know we'll talk about more because this really comes into play big time with fertility. And sources of oxidative stress will divert many nutrients and antioxidants that are needed to protect developing follicles and eggs and sperm over to what they're needing to be prioritized for. So oxidative stress, inflammation. I know you talk a lot about that in, in your practice and also just with other guests, you know, how stressful that is and resource intensive that is on the body. So oxidative stress, inflammation, and figuring out where that's coming from is really important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So something kind of before we get into sperm completely, the kind of the heartwarming, also weird, also interesting thing that always strikes me in fertility is that I was inside of my grandmother, right? You know, when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother, my mother had eggs that she was born with. And that's how it was. Mm -hmm. So that's fascinating. And also we shouldn't stress or worry about it because it's out of our control. Maybe we should be concerned for the future and we should do our part as much as we can. Right. But, and the people listening to this are those people, but is there anything like that in men when their Mm -hmm. sperm recycles, probably the wrong word all the time, whereas women get the set amount of eggs in the first place? Yeah, there is some interesting research around what happens for men tracing back to their prepubescent years in puberty. So kind of around ages like 11, 12, 13, and what their environment, diet and lifestyle looked like at that time. And I think when I bring that up sometimes, you know, with clients or in other talks or presentations, I think everyone kind of panics a little because it's like nobody, no 12 year old is really thinking about fertility at that point. I mean, I have a son, he's five and, you know, I will be thinking about around that age, you know, like what does his diet and lifestyle kind of look like? Because there has been research to show that that time frame can actually have a significant impact on later fertility. So we don't have all the answers on that, but it can be traced back. And there is, again, some data, I think it's a little more limited, but some data on like our fathers, grandfathers and the environments that they were in. And this kind of comes back to epigenetics, you know, so really epigenetic programming that happens in response to someone's environment, you know, and that kind of signaling those, that epigenetic signaling does transfer from sperm to the offspring. And so we see the things that we do now for fertility, I mean, said like more broadly, the things that we do now have an impact on future generations, like many generations ahead of us, whether it be women or men. And so it's a big deal. And I think when I think about it that way, it just makes me feel like the impact so huge, it's worth focusing on. And if that feels scary or un- not tangible, I think we can oversimplify it and say, the health at any age could affect the health of the future, right? Because Mm -hmm. we have a set of cells and they're regenerative, but if they don't have nourishment and then we're regenerating diseased or not as high quality cells, that's kind of where we get into issues. And this has been a conversation for a long time before us having this conversation. I mean, I can think of a book on my shelf somewhere where this man had gone to another country that hadn't really seen, you know, the dawn of industrialized nations and their teeth were so beautiful and so straight. And I think he was a dentist. And so, you know, he just kind of was making it and he did some weird experiments with common household pets and kind of looked at through time, you know, how their health declined with the mother's health. So it makes perfect sense if we just stop Mm -hmm. and think about it, right? It's like our health from as a child, you know, is probably going to predict our health, our potential health as an adult. And we can change that trajectory and change it overall, which is always like, we always want to be positive. (laughs) You can improve things, I would say. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, when 99.9% of 
people coming to your office looking for fertility support are women. Why do we even bring men into the conversation? Because we know what they've got fertilization and conception and whatever, you know, and then mom's in charge. So why do we bring men into the conversation in the first place? Yeah, I think that for many years, you know, has been the perception is that men's contribution is really to fertilization, you know, that conception stage, and then it's really on mom, but we have more data now. And I mean, just to kind of give a little bit of a lay of the land, there was a recent study in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. It was published actually just in April, 2021. It was called the Association of Preconception Paternal Health and Adverse Maternal Outcomes in Health Mothers in Healthy Mothers. And it found that preconception paternal health, so dad's health, was significantly associated with an increased odds of preeclampsia in otherwise healthy women who were at low risk for pregnancy complications. And there's a lot of other studies that have come out suggesting that men's health preconception affects a number of pregnancy risk factors and outcomes for moms. So pregnancy loss, so miscarriage risk, there's new data on that. Gestational diabetes, preterm birth, And ultimately, as we just talked about, you know, baby's long-term health. So I think, you know, it's really way overdue that men are really held accountable too for their health and that they prep, you know, they do the prep work too for having kids. And with regards to that, I mean, when women reach out to me about their fertility concerns, right. And they've got, and they're looking to work with us. We're always requiring, you know, if there is a male partner, like they're involved and they're in on the session and that they also enroll in working with us because otherwise the impact is so minimal, you know, we're so limited with what we know and what we can do. So for men, I mean, you're really looking at a bare minimum of at least like three to six months prior to conceiving, you know, to have a real impact on preconception health. I mean, the average man produces between like 50 and a hundred million sperm a day, but it takes two to three months for those sperm to fully mature. And that's the period where they're most susceptible to the impact of nutrient depletion, oxidative stress from lifestyle factors that can ultimately compromise sperm quality and concentration, motility, morphology, all those parameters So it's that period of time that we want to really focus on infusing lots of the right nutrients and antioxidants, trying to mitigate some of the environmental diet and lifestyle stressors as best we can. And, you know, I say like, you know, three to six months, but, you know, really if a man has, you know, health issues, right, if there's a lot of digestive issues, if there's other sources of inflammation and it can take longer. So I think that's not what everybody wants to hear, you know, that like, you know, we've got to do all this prep prior to conception. It's more, but it is like, if you're thinking about kids in the future, it's really never too soon to kind of do an inventory and like, think about some of these things because it has a huge impact. And I mean, particularly in that window when the sperm are really maturing. Mm -hmm. Obviously we're going to talk more about this, but I have to go back. You were talking about men's sperm health affecting many pregnancy complications, including preeclampsia, which is essentially high blood pressure Mm -hmm. at dangerous levels. And that's hard to wrap your brain around how high blood pressure in a woman can be affected by sperm health. Do you have any, like, what does your mind hypothesize around that? And if it doesn't, cool, I'll move on. 
(laughs) Well, we do. I mean, there's a lot. I think this is one of those things that isn't known yet, but we do know that sperm and semen as a whole has a lot of different ways in which it will signal various things to happen in females. So everything from changes in like cervical fluid and changes in the uterus to the whole reproductive system. I mean, male sperm and overall semen, it has like signaling qualities to it. And so this is where this does get into a little bit of the epigenetic side of things. It pulls in a lot of different areas of, I think, ongoing research right now. But we know that it really isn't just the sperm and the genetic makeup of sperm itself. It's actually all of these different constituents of semen and the type of signaling that it does. And so it's really fascinating. And it actually, we know it can affect placental development. And there's some theories around placental development and its role in preeclampsia and if that's part of the picture. And I think prior to some of the newer data showing that men's preconception health and semen quality had a role in preeclampsia, women were really taking that as, at least the women I were seeing, like they were doing something wrong. It was something wrong with their health, their nutrition, you know, something they did to cause that. So I just taking that burden, you know, when really, again, we know that it's a whole combination of factors. And I should point out again, like, as we mentioned earlier, some of these factors trace back to what our grandparents did, you know, and the environments they lived in. And so we cannot control for everything. But again, there's also research showing that like our just our modern environments with the just the unbelievable amount of environmental toxins that we're exposed to at this point is is a contributing factor. Mm. Heartwarming, heartwarming. Also, <laughs> also, as you were talking, I was thinking about things men say, and I was just thinking about conversations that could be had around how would you, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to get at here. Mm-hmm. Uh, men talking about how their sperm can influence things. And uh, mm-hmm. anyway, men and their funny <laughs> jokes. I had it in the moment. But first, you were talking about really, we look at oxidative stress and that affects motility and overall health of the sperm and kind of getting the job done essentially. Cause there's a lot of pieces in fertility. It's like egg quality, sperm quality, and can it even get to where it needs to get to? And then do you have the right? hormone production. Well, first of all, even before egg quality, can you release the egg, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Can you implant it into the lining, all of those things. So you talked about oxidative stress and you did not talk about things that cause oxidative stress in men. So let's talk about oxidative stress and men's fertility. What does it mean? Why is it important? What does it look like on a man or a woman or a person? Yeah. And just to preface that there was a research that was actually just published in September, 2021. And it showed that over the past 16 years, sperm count and motility is continuing to decline along with concentration. And so this was actually true for like healthy young sperm donors. So they looked at sperm donations across geographical locations in the U S and the study obviously covered the pandemic timeframe. And there's been some like preliminary research and a lot of case reports and just sharing among practitioners, you know, about cases of like sterility and overall increase in male fertility issues and those that have gotten COVID. So it's not clear yet, you know, what, if that's like temporary or what the long-term impact is, but that is part of the equation now. So I think it's like, it's worth noting since we've been dealing with this for the past two years. Yeah. And I think it would be worth noting there that the stress levels that Mm -hmm. go unrecognized and the anxiety and all of the things around that, which a thousand percent affect all hormone health are, have escalated like crazy. And so even 
a COVID is essentially a stressor on the body, right? It's damaging or inflammatory to the body at that time. And I think this goes back to, do we have the tools for recovery? You know, it really Mm -hmm. picks on weak spots, right? It sucks. It picks on weak spots. And so it kind of ugly because it exposes things that were not exposed before on us, ourselves, on our friends, on whoever, right? And, you know, and it's like, maybe there's some obvious long-term effect. Maybe there's not for someone, but I always try to like bring it back to this positive spin on it's not cool, but we can't do anything about it. So what can we do moving forward to try to be more resilient and heal and all of those things? Like, how can we take what we learned from that and be Mm -hmm. better moving forward? That's like my lovely dream. And, you know, if I look too hard at the world, I don't really see that coming to fruition. But I think individually, we can take so much personal responsibility and do what we can to reduce oxidative stress. So back to oxidative stress. Yeah. Yeah. And and I definitely want to make sure that we cover like some real practical strategies here for how you actually mitigate all like this current environment and the situation that we're in, you know, but, you know, I just wanted to point out that that study actually, it was really interesting because they controlled for BMI. So they kind of took weight out of the equation, which we know probably does have some role, you know, and as an overall stressor in the body, or at least it can BMI, of course, that could be like a whole nother conversation, right? As to whether or not that's really helpful measurement tool or not. But anyway, the goal of the study was really to look at environmental diet and stress exposures impact, because that's the predominant theory when it comes to both female and male fertility is that it's largely oxidative stress from exposures to endocrine disruptors. So, you know, common every day, you know, chemicals that we just have in our modern environments, you know, changes to our lifestyles, like our diet, sleep, overall stress, smoking. So I really feel like, you know, this study and many others teased out how oxidative stress in particular is the thing to zero in on. And that was really what I kept top of mind, not just this study, but because of all of the research around when I formulated our newest product for men. And Really, the idea is we know that we live in this modern environment full of additional stressors on the body. Like we've got extra inputs than we ever had, you know, throughout history. And it can count for like this declining fertility rate that we're seeing. But there are ways, you know, to mitigate that. And so, you know, supplementation is one of them. I mean, I think you and I both like prefer, you know, food, like food first and using food as medicine, of course. But there are situations where like supplementation can be super helpful. And if you do it, strategically with the right forms, you know, you can help to offset like, or help to provide your body with the extra resources it needs to combat the extra stressors we have. I think smart supplementation, not necessarily overdoing it, but like with the right things and we can get into what those are having, we know that like really produce rich, which happens to be like antioxidant rich diets, it's sort of Mediterranean style. I kind of like to say like modified Mediterranean, you know, for fertility is my approach, but that is so supportive. And, you know, I think small steps, like more focusing on like an additive approach, like what can we add in? it can be some more tools and resources that we can give our bodies that are like working so hard to keep up with the demand and make sure that our reproductive system has what it needs. And I would agree food first. And I think we also have to be realistic. Sometimes it's good to know. I think we can step back and assess our diet sometimes. And then I have things I use when I am not as awesome as I'd like to be. 
Because mm-hmm. ideally, when we're more busy and we have more stuff going on, we're not as awesome as we would like to be. So we need to have some mitigation strategies or some backup plans. And I use the same stuff when I travel, right? Like I can't control a lot of factors and I still want to feel good and not ick when I travel. Yeah. Um, okay. Back to oxidative stress. It's like rust. It's important because oxidative stress is kind of the overarching umbrella where it really affects the quality count, motility, et cetera. And so things that create oxidative stress on the body are environmental toxins, other behaviors like consistent alcohol intake, marijuana, mm-hmm. just poor diet, anything else to add to the oxidative stress bucket before we talk about positive things. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I mean, I know smoking has been like widely studied and I think because it's such an easy thing in the research to say like measuring like this one substance is used, but like, I mean, we know smoking causes oxidative stress, but there are a lot of other things too in our environments. I think you covered it. Okay, cool. Before we talk about, I'd like to shift to positivity and nutrient density and all those things in a moment, but I think it would be important to recognize how we are dressing sperm quality and sperm health currently conventionally? And is it good enough? Is there any other options? So for example, doing a semen analysis, checking for infections should be first line things when considering male fertility. Is that good enough? Is there anything else that could be done to help Mm -hmm. assess for this? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it is important to look for, there can be sort of like these latent infections, even chronic ones that go on for men that, you know, can be the source of stress and really compromising sperm maturation development and overall health parameters of sperm. And so that's important. So like, you know, a regular PCP visit, maybe a specialist, like a urologist, something like that for men can be a like preconception preventative health, you know, tool, I would suggest. I mean, we try to make sure that those type of things are done at a minimum prior to really getting into some of the more complex stuff. But, you know, a lot of men will have gotten semen analysis with the couples we work with. And I've seen, you know, over the years and they say it's fine, you know, and I mean, first I usually ask to see it because I will say that for where you're getting a semen analysis run, it's usually through an endocrinologist, maybe a fertility center, fertility clinic, and they're looking at it through a different lens. You know, they're ultimately looking to see, okay, would this person be a good candidate for assisted reproductive technology of some kind, like IVF, IUI, like what would the success rate be? Is that sperm quality good enough for to have XYZ outcomes with that technology? Whereas I'm thinking, you know, is that optimal? (laughs) You know, is the semen analysis showing optimal parameters? So I think it is important to ask for your results at a minimum and share those with who you're working with. But the other thing I just would want to really point out is that a semen analysis will not measure everything. So you could have a semen analysis that looks great and there still can be DNA damage. You know, there can still be problems with the sperm that will affect conception. And ultimately they can't measure all of the quality parameters that would impact those pregnancy complications we talked about, or like long-term, you know, we can't measure all the epigenetic kind of pieces to this, like long-term baby's long-term health. So I would say that's where I see people stop is a semen analysis. That's like the, as far as they go into the men's fertility side and, or they say, you know, my partner, my husband, my whatever, you know, has had children right before. That's also not necessarily telling us what's going on currently. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in summary, conventionally, they should look at semen analysis and for infections. Functionally, we do have a lot of other things we can look at with or without testing, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not 
I have not ever reviewed a semen analysis, not in my wheelhouse. Is there anything on that? So you kind of talked a little bit about this, but is there anything on that that, as you said, in a reproductive center, they're looking at it from a different lens. When you look at the semen analysis, are you looking at just closeness to a range or is there some other information there that helps you infer that there's a deeper problem going on that you can then use in practice? Yeah. I mean, it's similar to how we look at a lot of lab work where it's like the ranges, we know that the reference ranges for most lab tests used in a conventional setting are like looking at both healthy and not healthy people, right? So like the ranges are so large that they're not the optimal ranges. And so I'm usually trying to look at it from the optimal range perspective. And what you'll see on a semen analysis is like overall count, morphology, concentration, motility. So you get some indication. It is helpful because there are some different interventions that you can do diet and lifestyle wise, supplement wise, depending on what's going on. So I think it's not uncommon to see count be fine, concentration to be fine, but something to be off with morphology and motility. Mm -hmm. And that's common because that's probably that really may be like the first place that oxidative stress really compromises is the way like the tail on the sperm and the formation, like the outer kind of lipid kind of membrane of the sperm, you know? And so that's where you see like morphology, motility, they start to kind of go off and be out of the optimal range. And that's where the issue lies. Yeah. But you just said something that like lit me up, which was, if this is a membrane thing, can we support membrane health, which is in the whole mm-hmm. body, and then support sperm essentially motility? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Yep. Through nutrients, through healthy fats, right? Through omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, we, we definitely can. So those are right there, some good strategies for mitigating the effects of oxidative stress. If you have essentially rust on cells, you're going to have decline in like good membrane health, which is, mm-hmm. you know, really the ability for nutrients to get in and out of the cell. This is kind of how I think of it, right? And like every cell has a phospholipid layer, membranes, et cetera. So let's talk a little bit about some cool nutrients in mm-hmm. men's health. So we just talked about healthy fats and omegas and et cetera for membrane health. Let's talk about what are some other favorites that we may know, maybe like some big ones and then maybe some not as well-known nutrients. Well, when we think about cell membrane health and like preventing that free radical damage, like from oxidative stress to cell membrane, selenium really comes to mind. So selenium is a trace mineral, but it's also an antioxidant or it has antioxidant properties and it works really synergistically with vitamins A, C, and E to prevent that free radical damage to cell membranes. And it's actually been found to increase levels of testosterone and glutathione, which you and I know and love glutathione. We know it as like the master antioxidant, right? Like it just helps with all the things and facilitates optimal detoxification and everything. But selenium in the range of the 200 micrograms is where we see it really influence both sperm concentration and motility. So selenium is one that I think is really important to focus on. Zinc would be another one. Zinc can help with morphology and And it's a pretty good dose that you need, you know, for that. So zinc upwards of 50 milligrams a day, which it can be tough to supplement with much more than that because it's not always easy on the stomach. So like, you know, the form matters, but also getting it from food sources. Like I'm always recommending like date nights with oysters and, you know, things like that. Those really actually oysters happen to be pretty rich in selenium too. So that's another really good one to focus in on the B vitamins as a whole, you know, I mean, B vitamins will actually affect the quality of not just the sperm, 
but also the semen. And, you know, B vitamins are really important. We know like folate B12 for women's fertility is talked about all the time, right? Preventing neural tube defects and that sort of thing. But it's probably equally important for men's semen quality and the epigenetic influences we kind of touched on. And, you know, B vitamins are so needed for liver detoxification, right? So just dealing with like, the things that are, we come in contact with both that are a product of like our natural bodies reactions and also our environmental oxidants kind of inputs. Our liver is one of the main workhorses of our detoxification system. And it is like, it just requires so many nutrients and antioxidants and B vitamins are some of those. So that's key, really key to focus in on particularly like B12 and folate. I want to talk about those few, and then we can talk about any other interesting ones because I have a lot of things that pop up in my brain and I appreciated that you mentioned the dosage for selenium. I can't, I have this scar in my brain many years ago, a man called me and was telling me he had selenium poisoning from Mm -hmm. improper supplementation. And he let me know that he had to go to the Mayo Clinic to get diagnosed. I mean, I never took, I just had a couple conversations with him, but it really scarred in my brain overdosing. Mm-hmm. And so 200 micrograms is a really common dose in general, a couple of Brazil nuts, other, like you said, oysters, et cetera, or in a synergistic formula is kind of my yeah. preference versus like, I just like to say that because selenium is so important for thyroid health as well. It's such an important nutrient. And yeah. I, that's what I'm going to talk about in these next ones too. It's like, we can overdo nutrients technically, or, you know, I'm always a little concerned about like single high dosing of a certain yeah. nutrient forever. And we should be able to agree on that in general. And in fact, that's what happens a lot with zinc is people super dose it, especially the last two mm-hmm. years. I had someone mm-hmm. who was like very uncomfortable when I said, can I please take you off of this zinc? Because mentally she was pretty convinced that it was improving her immune system. But actually what was happening is it's definitely causing a copper deficiency, which is relevant in other nutrients as well. So again, synergy, I think is important there. Like it's an essential nutrient. It's commonly deficient and synergy is an important, like you shouldn't just super dose one random thing forever, which should be good because we're going to talk through some nutrients and it doesn't mean you go make a list and go buy every nutrient. The thing you can dose without really fear is B's and C's, right? Because they're water soluble. You can't overdose them. And on the note of having, of zinc deficiencies being common, you know, you were talking about reference ranges for labs earlier and how they include healthy and unhealthy people. I feel like the vitamin B12 reference range just continues to get lower as I look at lab Mm -hmm. tests. I'm like, I could swear this used to be like 400 when I started practicing or like 350. Now it's 211 is the lower end. And the upper end is like eight or 900, maybe a thousand. And I swear it used to be a thousand or 1200. My point is sometimes if you get that particular lab, which most of the time, you're not going to go have your nutrients drawn Mm-hmm. Most of the time you can ask for this. It's just not a common, when you go get blood work done, this is not included unless you specifically ask for it. And even then it's maybe not included. So you have to double check. And so I'm always suspicious to reiterate something you already said when things are too close to the line or just kind of suboptimal overall. So Well, and remember too, I mean, like I always like to point out too, I mean, because we do have folks like that will go in for like just serum levels of folate B12, you know, through their PCP and that absorption doesn't necessarily equal utilization, right? Mm -hmm. So we can absorb nutrients through the intestines, but whether or not they're actually utilized or they're excreted, you know, that's another thing. So actually like serum levels of some nutrients are not that helpful anyway. (laughs) No, that's very true. Like I feel magnesium, but 
The other thing to say here is that good gut health is essential for B12, for zinc, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can make that argument for most, but those are really key ones that will struggle. If I see a low B12, I'm like, you probably don't digest protein very well Mm -hmm. because of gut health issues, a lot of reasons, right? So, and that's, by the way, going to really affect your immune health and your energy levels, things we all care about. So... (laughs) cool things to talk about. This is why I love podcasting because I can be like, well, I just want you to know all these other XYZ things. And the take-home message is simple because it's, you know, look for the right doses in a synergistic formula. Don't just like super dose randomly forever, forever, forever. So you talked about selenium, zinc, B12, any other nutrients we want to highlight that are kind of cool or fun or whatever. Yeah, I would just say lycopene is kind of an interesting compound that we've got some new research on. And we put it in like an antioxidant blend in our men's vitality and virility formula, which is a brand new and the counterpart really to our prenatal. And lycopene is interesting. I mean, it really has been shown to improve many aspects of male fertility, but sperm count, viability, overall quality, we have seen it for that. And it doesn't take a lot of it to do it. But Enough that where it's a little hard to get in the diet, unless you're really regularly consuming lycopene rich foods, which also are delicious foods. A lot of your red produce, we think of tomatoes, you know, things like that. So you can get it in your diet, but it's a matter of, okay, are we consistently getting enough to offset some of the other stressors, you know, and it's also very safe to use. Cool. We've covered a lot. And I think it's good. We kind of talked about like, we talked a big picture about overall fertility. We got zoomed into men's sperm health and beyond and kind of all the history, research, et cetera, and then kind of turned it toward oxidative stress, which is affected by environment, diet, endocrine disruptors, you know, common diet, sleep, overall stress, et cetera. And then practical. So we can think through each of those, right? We can clear things out and then we can replete nutrients, which are essential for elimination, detoxification, which is our combat to environmental stressors, environmental toxicants. We can look at gut health. We can look at other things. We can just support nutrients to have sperm work well, essentially. Mm -hmm. I think the last good question that is on the hearts of people listening to this, you know, if you're not a man listening to this would be, do you have any inspiration to a woman trying to get a man on board with caring about the fertility work? Because Mm -hmm. the hardest part about fertility work is the emotional impact. Because typically if they're pursuing extra support, not always, I mean, I get really lucky that I'm talking to someone about like fixing gut health and they're like, by the way, I'd like to have kids a couple of years and I don't want to take these issues to it. That is so cool that you brought that up. But the alternative is if your practice focuses on fertility, you're now dealing with probably a struggle to conceive already, most likely. And so there's a lot of emotions, stress and anxiety that comes from that, which doesn't help the um, Mm -hmm. puzzle. And if the partner is not, you know, all in like a woman, it's really stressful. So you have a lot of experience with this and do you have any words of encouragement to that couple or that woman? Yeah. You know, I think first as a whole, I think we should probably give men more credit than we do, or like not make too many assumptions about what they can tolerate when it comes to talking about their fertility and their sperm health. I mean, I'm always told, I was told this about my prenatal, which is a capsule a day, you know, product. There is no way anybody's going to take this. And same thing with this new product, you know, with it being really saying right on the bottle that it's meant to support male fertility and sperm health, that nobody's going to take this, you know, but at the same time, I think men want to want to understand how they can be part of it 
it that if they can see some of the science and another reason why I like to describe what we do as being like a fertility wellness and education brand is we're going to try to provide, you know, through our resources, like the research, the snips, you know, the one pagers that you can give to your partner, you know, to be like these minimal steps you can take can have a huge impact, right? Like we're in this together and we both got to contribute here. And women have to carry <laughs> carry children. And I think overall, we can ask more of men than we do as a society as a whole, and that we should for the sake of really future generations. Yeah. Mm. On that note, when does the men's fertility product that you know is the companion for full well prenatal multivitamin, when does that come out. This episode comes out the end of December. Are we close to the release yeah, date? So it should be out by the time this airs. I take, you know, our quality testing really, really seriously. And so everything's looking good, but we're waiting on our third party results. So as long as those come back as expected, I think by the time this airs, the product will be out and available. It's called Vitality and Virility. <laughs> um, so that's our, it's Full Wells Vitality and Virility blend. And I'm really excited about it. Speaking of quality testing, most companies do what? And you, this has come up for you like a lot. This is an issue for you a lot sometimes with like yeah. sourcing and things. You test every batch, which is yeah. a, little, a little extra over there. Control yeah, freak, gosh, which is good. I, um, Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I want this could be a whole nother episode, but I, I really um, have had a behind the curtains kind of look at what goes on for the past few years, more than that, really in developing this, you know, to, in working in this industry, I kind of like joke, I'm really glad that I was as naive as I was that I could just go with the formula I wanted and get it made the way I wanted because it's, it was harder than that. But yeah, every single lot we test in-house and then we have a third party independent lab, really like the gold standard lab in the industry, test it as well to make sure that there aren't harmful contaminants. It's safe. We're meeting label claims, which is actually a really big deal. You actually can't guarantee just looking at a label and what it says is in a dose. There's a lot of things that go into making that happen, especially a complex product like a multivitamin that has a lot of nutrients in it. It's really hard to get the same amount of nutrients in each capsule. So that takes quite a bit. And so we test for all of that and we make sure that's happening because that's critical. And so there's been times, especially through this pandemic and with the supply chain issues where we've scrapped entire batches and it's painful, <laughs> but uh, it's worth it, you know, in the end. That is painful, but I know you don't want to contribute to the overall environmental toxin load and you're right. That is worth mentioning, I think. And I think our listeners probably know this, but in general, that's what'll get you. That's what'll make you crazy about your parents just going to pick up stuff from all over that they read about. Maybe mm -hmm. that's just my parents, but it will make me so crazy <laughs> because <laughs> there's a lot of quality issues. And so I don't really want supplements to be regulated because that doesn't seem to work out very well to have people regulate things they don't understand. But that just means the responsibility lies on us as the consumer to ensure that we're choosing from trusted companies. And so when we just pick a batch of trusted companies, we should be able to fulfill our needs if any supplementation if needed. So... Thank you so much for coming on today. If you want, I think this is still the thing. You can go to fullwellfertility.com if you want to try, I believe it's 10% off for mm -hmm. stores, the code less stressed. I don't know if that includes vitality and virility or not, but it give does. It a go. Yep. All right, mm -hmm. give it a go, give it a try. And now the cool part is, you know, you've, you're covered. And so thanks for so much for coming on and talking to us about, you know, fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for having me. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.